How many of you help students in your home with homework? How many of you help them when a test is coming up? All right. How many of you do those spelling tests still? Can I see those in your home? Oh. And then it gets a really long list sometimes, right? Well, you know, sometimes your student doesn't know in your home, but repetition is valuable for learning, is it not? And so to go over and over again, I was one of those guys who studied all the way up till the last moment, and uh, then you took the test, and I was one of the last ones to put the pencil down, right? Because you might as well take the time you have to make sure you know what you need to know. Well, for that reason, I'm going to do a little bit of review today. Recap, whatever you want to call it, because last week was fairly significant. At least it was significant for me. I don't know about you. But we sort of crossed the line as it relates to us as a church, not just owning a catalytic experience on Sunday morning where we gather to uh, worship God, to, to hear from his word, to, to fellowship and encourage one another, but we are also going to align ourselves during the week in missional communities. Now, it's going to take some while. Several of you sort of, you know, signed up to say, I'm in. And if you remember, this is uh, the slide we ended with last week. Uh, we said, who is in? Team TV, Temecula Valley. Uh, and we talked about doing missional communities of good news. It comes from Romans 10:16. How beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Messengers is plural. We're going to do this together. And many of you signed your back of your communication card, I'm in, last week. And I want to say Thanks for doing that. If you weren't here last week and you don't know what's going on, just write I'm in and you'll find out. <laughs> no, but you can sign I'm in this week too and we'll receive them. But over the course of the next, and you need to know this is going to take, you have to be you know, patient, give some elasticity to all this. Uh, over the course of the next number of months, we uh, seek to have really solid, vibrant, missional communities that you can be a part of in your life to be able to forward God's mission in this valley. And uh, we talked last week about uh, the Acts 2 verse. If you remember, Acts 2 talks about they gathered in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and ate together. They did several things those early Christians did in the book of Acts, but we looked last week that they did them in two geographical senses. They had worship and gatherings at the temple, which was a public domain, as a public space, and then they gathered in homes which was more of a social space or house-to-house. Um, -house. I'd like to refer to the Greek word actually is the word oikos. And so they had an oikos experience. And so hopefully we want you to have a once every seven days catalytic gathering experience. But during the week, we want you to be doing life together in an oikos. And we mentioned last week that an oikos for today Though back then it was a lot of extended families and different connections. We have this diagram of some bubbles we used last week. We said our missional community will be an oikos of extended family that may include friends that you've already known, maybe some new friends, neighbors, work associates, relationships through your school connections, maybe some relatives, maybe some other kinds of uh, relational dimensions you have through recreation, whatever it may be. But we want to gather in groups of 20 to 50, not just during the week in homes, but we want to put us on mission in this valley together in these missional communities. And so these Oikos uh, groups are going to have three things that are, are vibrant within them. And we're coming back to these today. The missional community is to be focused around the Spirit of Christ with passionate spirituality, radical community, and missional zeal. Now, how many of you remember that? 
How many of you remember that before I put the slide up? See, this is always a hard thing for us pastors. They say that 90% of what you say is forgotten by Monday anyway. So that's why we're doing a review. We're doing a recap, all right? Because these things need to be a part of our DNA, if you will, as we move forward with the missional communities. But we said last week with missional communities that one of the reasons that we're looking at groups to 2050 is because the larger your community grows, the further away from the center hot core fire that happens. Do you remember that dialogue? We said that when you have a fire pit or something and people gather around it, you're nice and cozy and warm, new friends show up, they're on the backside, let's make the circle bigger. But as you make the circle bigger sometimes, you run into other type of group dynamics, but you get further away from the fire. So you're holding that long stick out there trying to cook your hot dog or do your s'mores, right? And so we're saying we need to do multiple missional communities so that people uh, will be able to get closer in. And so there's just some social group dynamics that are involved in us thinking that our missional communities, they're larger than small groups, but they're not like a large Sunday morning experience. Large enough to care, I mean, uh, small enough to care, but large enough to dare is one of the phrases that we've used for missional communities. And so then we'll have several missional communities, so we'll have several campfires going on, and you'll carry torches, and the torches, not literally, but you'll carry torches that are red hot for Jesus Christ into different parts of the Temecula Valley if you're on Team TV, and then we will gather back together on a weekend experience for a big bonfire as we bring all of our fires together. Because you know what? What makes a great worship experience isn't you rolling in, trying to dig the dirt out of your eyes, and go, oh, it's Sunday again. Oh, Chris is up there leading worship. I guess I ought to sing some songs. Oh, what makes it a great worship experience is when you bring the fire of the Holy Spirit with you and together from what God's done during the course of the week is doing in your life, we worship together. This is not a spectator experience on a Sunday morning. It's a participatory experience, but the participation is from the course of the week and not just from getting up early to make sure that you're here on time. So we have the gathered experience, which would be representative of the temple gathering from Acts 2, the public gathering, and then we have the scattered experience, the expression of this church in missional communities, home to home, neighborhood to neighborhood, workplace to workplace, and that is the oikos of what the New Testament talks about in Acts 2. Then we gave reference last week. Do you remember these two verses? We juxtaposed these. I don't know if you've ever seen the uniqueness of this, but the Acts 1.8 and the Acts 8.1. The Acts 1.8 said, Jesus said this, right? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It was sort of a commissioning time before he ascended into heaven. He says, you will receive the Holy Spirit if you're a follower of me, and you will be my witnesses. This is not an optional sign-up time. Sorry, we're all in, okay? And then Jesus said, it's not just here locally, but it's going to be regionally, it's going to be globally. God, through Christ, had a vision in view that we would all be messengers of good news to the nations. But that expression of scattering, to those different places did not happen in Acts 1-8 or in Acts 2 or in Acts 3. It's not until Acts 8. And Acts 8-1 records this following the persecution of the follower Stephen for his faith. He was killed. He was stoned to death. That was a heads-up call for the church. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout. Judea and Samaria. So you go from Acts 1-8 to Acts 8-1, and what you see here is that God will have his way. 
Do you know that? If we do not scatter, I believe God will do something to make us scatter. He will mobilize us. And I firmly, firmly believe, and Stephen probably, if we brought him in today to be able to give testimony, he says, that which they meant for evil, God allowed to be good. And so the stoning of Stephen led to the church dispersing throughout the known world at that time. And that's why last week we looked at this map of how the church dispersed and scattered. It went from Jerusalem to Damascus to Antioch to Galatia in the Turkey area, Philippi, Thessalonica, Corinth and Greece, Ephesus, Colossae, and then all the way to Rome. Those are places where the Gospels started to have impact because what were there? Missional communities, oikosis, households of faith. They had been gathered and they scattered. We will have those two dynamics functioning with us as a body, a gathered experience and a scattered experience for the sake of being messengers of good news, taking it not only to our neighborhoods of the valley, but also taking it to the nations. And today, we're going to come back to what makes a really good missional community of Christ. Missional communities of Christ need to focus on this aspect that Christ is at the center of all that we do. And if it's not Jesus, then let's just all go home. We're going to look today at passionate spirituality. Passionate spirituality has to lead not only in our personal life, but has to lead in our oikos, in our gathering. Can you imagine what happened when those oikoses were scattered throughout the Mediterranean uh, rim area? They went in partial fear, oh my goodness, but they went excited because you know why? They were very close. Many of those who scattered had been in the actual presence of Jesus himself before he ascended to the heavens. On February 28th, there's the opening of a movie called The Son of God. Maybe you've seen the trailer. If not, here it is. Do you need help? There's nothing to help with. What are you doing? Going fishing. I'm telling you, there's no fish out there. How did this happen? Come with me. What are we going to do? Change the world. Your sins are forgiven, my son. I thought only God could do that. Which is easier, to say his sins are forgiven, or say he get up and walk. I've had reports of a young prophet of Nazareth. It's rumored he works miracles. They all do. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Pray to him, and he will listen. Five thousand came to see him. Five thousand. Your hunger for righteousness will be filled through me. Who knows what Pilate will do if the crowds run out of control? That man, Judas, he wants to help us. I will crush any rebellion. Save us from the Romans, Lord! There is something unusual about him. We must arrest this false prophet. But what if he is who they say he is? Will somebody tell me? Peter, come. Answer if you can. One of you here 
will betray me to my enemies. I want someone to tell me what the soul of a man. Jesus of Nazareth, you are charged with blasphemy. He has employed demons to heal. He threatened to destroy the temple. Tell us, are you the son of God? Jesus is coming again. And between his first and second coming is what's called the church age. The church, his body, doing his work in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we get to do this. We get to do it together. And it's that very same Jesus at the core of our community that's going to make it happen. Now, I like a good epic. I don't know about you. You like a good story? You like a good movie? Well, that's not fiction there, man. When you go see that movie when it comes out or whatever, take your friends, take your neighbors or whatever, you are seeing history portrayed. Embellished a little bit probably here or there, but there's a whole part of the whole story that we don't know because it wasn't written about. Can you imagine what they could make movies about? We don't know from Jesus. But we are living inside of an epic, and we get to do this together to forward his mission here on earth with him at the core, the red-hot core center of who we are. I like how they portrayed Jesus with Peter on that boat. Wasn't that pretty cool? And here's just Peter. He was, a, he was just a common laborer. I mean, Jesus picked nobodies to do a lot of his stuff, right? So he picks Peter. Peter's like, I'm fishing out here. What are we fishing? There's nothing out here. I don't know how else to pick it. It was by the two of them just by himself or others, those kinds of things. But they haul in the nets, and there's the fish. And Peter starts to go, man, there's something going on here. How'd this happen? And Jesus says, come with me, man. And they depicted Peter there saying, well, what are we going to do? And Jesus says, we're going to change the world. Has Jesus ever come to you and said the same thing? I remember when he came to me. I'm not changing the world, but he's changing the world. And I get to join him in what he's doing. You do too, if you so choose. We pursue an awful lot of things in life, don't we? We pursue careers. We pursue wealth. We pursue nice homes. We pursue a network of friends. We pursue notoriety. But the most important thing to pursue, those things aren't necessarily bad, is to pursue Jesus Christ. You want passionate spirituality in your community group? Then it begins by each one of us having passionate spirituality by pursuing Jesus Christ and to know him. You know, the Apostle Paul was not one of those original 12. 
why he says he's the least of all the apostles, but Jesus appeared to the Apostle Paul. On the road to Damascus, the Apostle Paul held the coats for the stoning of Peter, for the stoning of Stephen, excuse me. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He had all the accolades. He had all the degrees. He had all the notoriety. And Jesus stopped him dead in his tracks. Paul said, Lord, what do you want of me? What do you want of me? You look at the life of Paul. Paul changed the world through Christ. It was Paul that started to get those oiko- go around at each of those oikoses in several places. It was Paul who would strum up leadership and empower and encourage leadership in these different places. It was Paul who would write letters to people in all those places, right? Philippi, Philippians, Colossae, Colossians, Ephesus, Ephesians, Corinth, Corinthians. The Apostle Paul saw himself, the least of all the apostles, but one who got on the coattails of changing the world. And Jesus isn't done grabbing a hold of you and me in this age. I want us to look at passionate spirituality by going to a verse of the Apostle Paul, a context in Philippians. Philippians 3, it's a known passage, but I want us to look at it critically. Philippians 3, beginning with verse 7. Again, this was a letter written to the Oikos in Philippi. He says this, But whatever was to my profit, that's all the accolades that he had, all the degrees, all the notoriety, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of one thing, for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the, what? The surpassing greatness. Oh, how much grander it is to be on this pursuit, the greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. And you bet you he lost a lot to take on the journey that he took on. He says, I consider them rubbish, garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, which is what he had been about for so long, but that which is through Christ, faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to give reference back there, if you hold on that slide. That second part there, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. We're going to come back to that statement in a little bit, what that means. But the Apostle Paul had a striving aspect in his spirit to know Christ, but he also had a deep, genuine understanding of what he has now gained by being found in Christ. And we're going to hold those two in tension in a little bit. But what you need to see from this is the passion of a man on pursuit of Jesus. Never grow weary in having a passion to know Jesus. I could almost do a little bit of a check right here. I could have you turn in sheets, and we could do a real great evaluation on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the hottest you've ever been for Jesus Christ. What are you now on that scale? <laughs> oh, I'm at a 2. I think I'm at an 8, right? Well, it's reasonable to give some type of, you know, evaluation of where you're at. But do not evaluate it on mere feelings, because feelings will come and go. I want you to evaluate it on how you structure your life. Is your life structured in such a manner that at the top of the list, as all your things you're seeking to do, is to know Christ? 
passionate spirituality, there's two words. Spirituality means it's the spirit of Jesus himself who's present today that you're pursuing. Passionate means that you have some intensity to it. Whether there's emotion to it or not, you are focused on that goal. You too can know Jesus. That's why if you turn to the next verse in in verse 10 of Philippians 3, Paul just simply says, I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection, in the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. A lot embellished there. I just want to look at the I want to know Christ. Jesus had already ascended to the heavens. Yes, he met Paul on the road to Damascus in a visible manner, which is something probably you and I have not had in our life. But he believed that this Christ who no longer walked with sandals on trodden earth was knowable. Question, do you think you can know Jesus today? Well, of course, Carrie. We're sitting in a Christian church. Give us a break here. We all showed up this morning. Ah, ooh, ooh, I got the answer to that. Yes, yes, we can know Jesus. No, 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 no. Pause. Really, think about it. On your day-to-day experience, do you, do you see Jesus with you? Do you believe His Spirit is someone who communes with you, that you can commune with, that you can hear from, that you can laugh with, that you can talk with, that you can enjoy? I think the portrayals such as Jesus and, and the Son of God are great because so many times Jesus is, is, is uh, showcased to somebody who's forlorn or who, who's you know, not all that exciting. I remember some of the old pictures that used to be on a Sunday school wall for me or something. Didn't look like a very exciting guy. But Jesus was a contagious character. People were drawn to him. People were also offended by him because he spoke truth. He spoke about what was true and what was not true. He called out people concerning sin and other things. But Jesus was was someone people were, is like a magnet. That same Jesus is walking in Temecula Valley through his spirit. He walks the whole world. To your advantage, I go away. If I don't go away, I won't send my spirit. He is here, and you and I, we get to know him. So how much of your life is ordered around getting to know him? I'm not saying you've got to become some religious junkie. That's not what I'm talking about. But you, you need to have a passionate pursuit of him. Now, it is my wife and I's 23rd anniversary today. It was an ice storm back in the Midwest. I don't know why I thought that would be a good idea. But we got married in the wintertime. But I tell you what, our relationship, and I'm not going to go into it, so don't worry, hon. It goes back several years prior to that. We had one of those on-again, off-again relationships, trying to decide, you know, and pursue one another, pursue not. And, you know, God spoke a lot of things into our life during our courtship. And we reordered some of our lives so that we could get to know one another. But the, That's right. But the most important thing that brought us together as a couple was each of us knew we were pursuing Jesus. And when you pursue Jesus, all kinds of cool things start to happen in your life. And my marriage is one of them. But I want to know, maybe you pursued somebody, maybe your spouse, maybe you remember a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a season where your whole life was sucked up with how do we cross paths? How do I get her to notice me? 
what would he think if I did this? And your whole life is just consumed with that. I think in some measure, friends, our passion to know Christ needs to be that same kind of consuming flame. Emotions will rise and go, but the pursuit aspects needs to be consistent. Our missional communities in this valley will be for no good. They'll just be groups that are meeting, people that are out there trying to do a nice project to help somebody. They will be flat unless there is the life of Jesus at the core. And so as individuals we pursue Jesus, and as groups we pursue Jesus. Passionate spirituality is of foremost importance for us to be scattered and decentralized in our valleys through our oikosis. He finishes it up this way in this passage. He says this, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. There is some sober evaluation going on in Paul's heart right here. I would say he's miles, he's years ahead of me. How about you? But yet he was saying here, I've not attained it yet. Think about it. I read it this week. It was interesting. If God is infinite, then we will forever and ever and ever be getting to know him more. If he is infinite, then our ability to learn and know more of him is infinite. So there are no high horses here. Nobody, I've arrived. That's just ugly anyway, right? The Apostle Paul, whatever I've obtained, it's not all of it. And so I now press on. I come to the recognition of where I am. And friends, let me just be honest with you. I want you to feel at ease owning where you are in your spirituality. If you are on the outside looking in today as maybe a spiritual seeker, trying to figure the whole God thing out, then praise God you are where you are, that you're actually seeking Him. That's huge. Maybe you recently crossed the line of faith and said, I want to become a Christ follower. But man, I'm just a newbie around here. I feel so inadequate. People ask me questions. I don't know. I am so excited you've crossed that line. Relax. Feel at ease with where you are. Maybe you've been walking with Jesus for years and you've sort of got in sort of the boredom. Uh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I know God. I could repeat to you a lot of the Bible, but there's no life in me. Well, that's okay. Just own where you are because, you know, discontentment's the first step towards progress, right? Just own where you are. And maybe you've really been riding high for many years. There is an infinite God. There is still more infinite knowledge, not just head knowledge, but experiential knowledge that you can find. And so I want to give permission across the board, especially in our missional communities. This is so huge. Wherever you are, that's where you are. Okay? It's okay. Let's just own where we're at. Let's embrace one another where they're at. And let's help each other take the simple next step of knowing Christ more. But let's not be lethargic. Let's not be indifferent in our missional communities or our personal life. Let's challenge one another to press on, to strain towards what is ahead, towards the goal, to win the prize, which is knowing of Christ. 
Now, I want to list for you from this passage, I said we're going to put two things um, juxt one to another. And the first is this. Passionate spirituality, the pursuit of knowing Christ, the first thing to understand is being found in Christ. There is a trusting aspect to it. In 1 Corinthians 30, which is to the oikos in Corinth, the letter was written, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. And Paul said, I want to be found in Christ, or I'm found in Christ. What does found in Christ mean? Well, this is what I find a lot of times when it comes to a passionate pursuit of knowing Jesus. Yeah, we may own where we're at, but then we feel tremendously inadequate about our need to become something that we're not yet. And so we get overwhelmed. We realize how sinful we are. We stumble. We say things we shouldn't say. We have attitudes that we carry we shouldn't have, mine included. Some were pointed out to me this week. And I think that all of us need to chill out when it comes to getting overwhelmed with our inadequacies. Because here's the reality. All of us are sinners. All of us fall short. All of us have minds that wander and go astray. That does not change who you are if you are in Christ. Because if you are in Christ, then it's not your righteousness, it's not your wisdom, it's not your holiness, it's not about your redemption, it's Jesus. And this is the beautiful thing that Paul discovered. He was the one out there telling everybody they had to operate by a rigid code of legalism and laws. Nobody measured up. The Pharisees thought they were the best of all of them, but probably if they were honest with you, they'd say they were falling short a little bit too. The faith, the Christian faith, is not about a set of dogmas or rules. It's not a religion. It's a vibrant relationship. As surely as we saw depicted in the trailer, Jesus sweeping people into a community, following hard after him. And when you make the decision to cross the line and commit your life to follow Jesus, then all that's true of Jesus now gets applied to you in your life. Smack. What do you mean, Carrie? Well, I'm going to give you a simple illustration. Maybe this will make sense, maybe it won't. This Bible I have up here, I have a piece of paper in this Bible. And this piece of paper, um, if I was to put it in the Bible, in the book, and close the book, where is the piece of paper? And the Bible in my hands, right? I'm going to give the book, the Bible to Frank down there. Now, where's the piece of paper? Who has the piece of paper? Frank does. If I was to take this Bible and I was to wrap it up and send it back uh, to my son in Indiana, where would the piece of paper be? Indiana, if I was to send it to a pastor in Orange County, where would it be? Wherever... The Bible was, that's where the paper would be. Because the paper, that piece of paper is in the book. If you are found in Christ, that means everything that is true of Christ is now true of you as it relates to you positionally. So in Christ, 
I have wisdom from God. In Christ, I have righteousness because he is the only righteous one. And in Christ, I am holy because he is holy. And in Christ, I have redemption because he defeated the adversary and rose from the grave, the power of his resurrection. Whatever is true of Jesus is true of me if I am in Christ. If I am not in Christ, then I am susceptible to all kinds of titles. And they're probably true. Sinner, loser, whatever you want to say. But if I'm in Christ, then I have his wisdom, his holiness, his redemption, his righteousness. And what you need to do is just chill out in that knowledge. It's not about what I do. It's about what he has done. There is tremendous truth in that. It's one of the most liberating truths in my life, and I'll continue to teach on it as we move in the weeks and months ahead. But I wanted to position that up front. Dynamic, passionate spirituality is spirituality that rests in the position we have in Christ. And there's a lot to learn about that, folks. There's a lot to experience about that. Maybe you're struggling this morning with where you're at in the faith. And, and you're going by all kinds of titles other people are giving you. You need to know this. You're a child of the Most High God. And in Him, you are declared righteous. Even if you really messed up this week, it doesn't matter. That's the beauty of the good news. We're messengers of this good news. It's not a religion. It's not a dogma. It's not a set of rules, of pharisaical laws. It's, and that's, why, that's why Paul was just so tremendously excited. Woohoo! I'm done with that system. I am now found in Christ. That's why there was passion in those early missional communities to get the good news out. And if we're going to have vibrant missional communities, we have to positionally know who we are in Christ. We have to study it. We have to breathe it. We have to speak it into one another's life. Being found in Christ is the beginning of the pursuit of knowing Christ. You got that for now? Initial concept, critical. There's trusting component. But here's the problem with that component. It's not all of it. And Scripture doesn't speak that it's all of it. Because I know of people who have been found in Christ and they are so excited to be in Him and all applied righteousness, redemption, and heaven and everything else, and they go, good deal! Now I'm just going to go on with my life and do what I want to do. And there is that attitude sometimes. That is not a good attitude. In fact, uh, a Christian Missionary Alliance pastor by the name of A.W. Tozer, he was a pastor in Chicago, Toronto, actually was in Indianapolis at one time, Back in the middle 1900s, uh, he wrote a book called The Pursuit of God. Any of you ever read Pursuit of God? This is probably a top ten devotional classics. You need to read The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. It's probably his main book that's acknowledged by other people even still today. Uh, in classes, if you were to take classes in graduate school on spirituality and how to have spirituality, they would probably list this book. A.W. Tozer, my piece of paper, has a quote from him out of this book. It was written in 1948. All right, since it's a while back, but it's as relevant, if not more so, today. How tragic that we in this dark day have had our seeking done for us by our teachers. Everything is made to center upon the initial act of accepting Christ. And we are not expected thereafter to crave any further revelation 
of God to our souls. We've been snared in the coils of a spurious logic, which insists that if we have found him, we need no more seek him. This is set before us as the last word in orthodoxy, and it is taken for granted that no Bible-taught Christian ever believed otherwise. Thus, the whole testimony of the worshiping, seeking, singing church on that subject is crisply set aside. The experiential heart theology of a grand army of fragrant saints, I like that phrase, is rejected in favor of a smug interpretation of Scripture which would certainly have sounded strange to an Augustine, a Rutherford, or a Brainerd, which were great men of the faith. What is peeving Mr. Tozer in this moment is the idea that in Christian circles, we try to get people saved and have them accept Jesus, and then once that happens, you're sort of good to go, and you're fine, and let's just wait it out and see what happens. You've crossed a line. Praise Jesus. You've invited him into your life. You are now found in him, all right? But your seeking, your pursuit should not end there. It's merely an interlude, a changing of the stage to another whole dimension of the story that's going on in your life and in the world. And so don't ever get caught up into the, are you in or out? Have you accepted Jesus? Not accepted Jesus. Sometimes it's like this rigid line that we draw, you know, in Christian circles, evangelical Christian circles. And sometimes there's a moment in time when you realize you crossed that line of faith, you committed to Christ. There's other times when it's almost like a season of time where you went from seeking your own agenda to seeking Jesus and following after him. But even if it's a season, or whether it's a moment in time, don't stop pursuing to know Jesus. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this. I've already been made for I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. May that be what resonates in your soul, week in and week out. And may you come to a trust in that finished work positionally. But then may you do the second thing, which is not only being found in Christ, but being formed by Christ. And I call this training. There's trusting and there's training. We hold them equal. And training, 1 Timothy 4, 7 says, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. We've been watching the Olympics, right? They go out there on that ice, and they do those triple, quadruple axles, or whatever they call them. Do you think they just sort of happened to do that because it was a good day? skate a little bit, see what I can do out here on these sleek things. No, they have been training not only for months, but years to be able to do that. You go into training to do what you can't do. Christ dwells in you if you're a follower of Jesus today, but Christ doesn't always live through us, does he? We could give you multiple examples here, here, here. Well, guess what? Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. Let's go into training to see how the Christ who lives in us is formed through us 
to be able to become who he's called us to be. His presence in every neck of the woods. His presence in every situation. And friends, I tell you what, this is an ongoing journey, and we will never be perfected until we shed these sinful mortal bodies and we are clothed with immortality someday. But in this life, there is no excuse for any believer in here not to go into serious training to be formed into the likeness of Christ because he dwells in you. He now just needs to live through you. So how do we go about doing this? Well, guess what? We can go right back to Jesus Dallas Willard, who is prof- was professor of philosophy at the uh, University of Southern California here on the West Coast, he was a Southern Baptist preacher. He's actually known in evangelical circles more as one who is a forerunner of what it means to have a vibrant spirituality and how, how to go after it. And um, we have uh, uh, gleaned a lot from him over the years. He recently passed away this past year. Dallas Willard says this in a book called Spirit of the Disciplines. The book he wrote back in the 80s, it's still adequate today. Willard says this, My central claim is that we can become like Christ by doing one thing, by following him in the overall style of life he chose for himself. If we have faith in Christ, we must believe that he knew, that he knew how to live. We can, through faith and grace, become like Christ by practicing the types of activities he engaged in by arranging our whole lives around the activities he himself practiced in order to remain constantly at home in the fellowship of the Father. What activities did Jesus practice? Such things as solitude and silence, prayer, simple and sacrificial living, intense study and meditation upon God's word and God's ways and service to others. Some of these will certainly be even more necessary to us than they were to him because of our greater or different need. But in a balanced life of such activities, We will be constantly enlivened by the kingdom not of this world, the kingdom of truth as seen in John 18, 36. We must go beyond asking, what would Jesus do? You know that phrase, right? To practicing what Jesus practiced. Following in his steps cannot be equated with behaving as he did when he was on the spot. To live as Christ lived is to live as he did all his life. Willard is saying this, you want to be Jesus in your community? You want to be Jesus Johnny on the spot? Guess what? It just doesn't happen like that. Jesus himself knew that he had to pattern his life in such a way that his, because he had a human vessel that he was in, that the divinity of who he was and the hope that he was able to give was going to be at hand because he had practiced well. When they step out on that ice to perform, those routines, and they nail it. It's because they spent years in training. If you want to nail it when your spouse blows up at you and not respond inappropriately, if you want to nail it to have compassion for someone, you should have compassion even though you're weary and tired and you don't want to give that day. If you want to, you know, if you want to nail it by keeping a pure life with your thoughts, then you have to go into a discipline which by When the time comes, you're able to function as a fully formed or a forming, being person formed in the likeness of Christ. And so I want to list just three things for you as it relates to the training aspect. To being formed in Christ, look for practices, experiences, and relationships that will help you in your training to become more like Christ. Make sure that you do not find yourself 
bound by legalism or falling into a sense of arrogance as it relates to spiritual disciplines. The spiritual disciplines, the practices, experiences, and relationships are there for the purpose of living life better. They're not what defines life. So if you've been reading your scriptures and you forgot to do it, not just the last week, but for the last three months, don't beat yourself up. But I tell you what, you're missing out on hearing the voice of God speak to your life. I want to hear the words of Jesus. If I want to know Christ and make him known, I'm going to read a lot of the red letters in the Bible. You got one of those Bibles, the red words are the words of Jesus, right? I want to sit and read the Gospels. If I want to be on mission together, I want to see how the early followers in the book of Acts went on mission. If I want God to minister to my grieving heart, I'm going to open to the Psalms and see how David knew how to grieve when he had opposition and enemies. I want to be in the Word, not so I get brownie points with God or with maybe a spiritual mentor. I want to be in the Word so I have it speak to me. Last night, you know, I'm thinking about this and going, oh, I've got to get some reorder to my own practices, experiences, and relationships, and it's true. So much change and transition going on in our life, localities and otherwise. One of my most critical practices is to go on prayer walks. And so last night I said, I'm just going to go on a prayer walk. Be the right thing for the pastor to do before I had to preach, right? I don't know these roads. Where do I go? So I took off on a road that didn't have houses on it really, which is good for me. Space is important to sense God's presence. And I started off by a practice I do a lot in my life, which is the memorization of Scripture or the refreshing of Scripture. So I took my phone, opened up the U version on the phone, and I went through a passage of Scripture I was wanting to keep more intact so I didn't lose it. So I started my walk with the practice of Scripture memorization. Then I said, well, it's time for me to talk to God, so I'm going to pray. So I started to complain. <laughs> and God said, hey, would you just shut up? Why don't you practice listening? Sit down here and have some solitude. Just listen. Oh, I can't do that, can I? You're here? Yeah. And after that, I did end up in prayer. And the prayer was more defined because of my listening. And the prayer was not only prayers of petition, but prayers of thanks. Thank you, Jesus, for bringing me to this valley. And I'm seeing the lights in the valley off in the distance. I'm, I still don't know why I'm here fully, but you know, you called me here. And I just began to sing, because worship's a pretty important practice. And I sing out loud on a street. I don't care. I grew up in the country. It was just the cornfields. <laughs> what are the practices that you have in your life that help hone you towards the heart of knowing Christ? Experiences. I'll pick up my son down here. This last year one time, he was uh, in some tough transitions of life. And I said, Ryan, just don't go to church. Really? You're telling me that? Why don't you just have a spiritual retreat every weekend? You've got a lot going on. Go away with Jesus. I remember one week you climbed up a mountain kind of thing and you sat there and, and another week he went some other. And it was like, I have permission just to have a little spiritual retreat? Yeah. Now, I would like to see a few of you next weekend, okay? But uh, <laughs> Retreats are those kinds of experiences. Short-term mission trips have been valuable experiences for me. Other things... And then relationships, key relationships, some of this whole, and we'll talk about it more next week when we talk about radical community, but our missional communities are actually, we're not requiring, we're encouraging people to come together in relationships 
that are sharpening one to another? Do you have relationships in your life? I remember when I was in seminary and on the East Coast, away from my parents and away from my family, extended family a lot. I wasn't married at the time and things. I had a discipline of staying connected by my family by picking up the phone, calling, talking with my mom, let her encourage me. My dad also, it was a spiritual discipline to stay connected with people who had shepherded me my whole life. Practices, experiences, and relationships, what would those be? I put those under the category of being formed in Christ, the training aspect, the training aspect. But do not allow your whole spiritual pursuit to be based upon that side of the equation. The trusting is of equal importance. Being found in Christ and being formed in Christ, they go hand in hand. Trusting and training, trusting and training. We're now going to do a spiritual discipline of corporate worship. And it is a discipline sometimes. We come together, not that we don't have other things to do today, right? Jobs, projects, we all go to, but we discipline to gather to be able to worship God. So Chris and team, come, and let's worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness, thanking him for all he has done, and may we devote our lives afresh and new to him as we worship together. The ushers are going to come to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings as well as your communication cards, but this is your time to be found in his presence, and maybe he could speak to you a re-altering of the course of your week of how you can put more appropriate spiritual discipline into knowing Christ so that we can ultimately make him known better to a lost world.